Hey, everybody, this is Ben Bowman and Alex Titus. Welcome to another episode of The Oregon Bridge. One of the things that I've learned in this job is that literally we don't have enough cops. We get about half a million 911 calls a year, probably two thirds of those are basically for police. We literally don't have the assets to respond to the police calls that come into 911. It takes about 18 months just to train a cop. In about eight months, voters will have a chance to look at charter reform. The charter is essentially the constitution for the city of Portland. The opportunity of literally a lifetime to make government in Portland work better. All right, folks, today we were very, very excited. We got to interview Portland City Commissioner Mingus Maps. This is our first time interviewing Portland City Commissioner, and it was a fascinating conversation. For those who aren't familiar with Commissioner Maps, he defeated incumbent Commissioner Chloe Udaly and former Mayor Sam Adams in his race to, to win this seat. He took office in 2021, and right now he is the commissioner in charge of the Water Bureau, the Bureau of Environmental Services, and the Bureau of Emergency Communications, which as he describes in this interview is the 911 function of city government. And in the commission form of government, he literally runs those bureaus. He's not just like in an oversight role. He is the person in charge of them. He's the city commission's liaison to Travel Portland, the Visitors Development Fund, and the Fair and Moral Claims Board. He's got a deep history in academia and actually teaches on the subject of city government and government in general. He's taught at you know, Harvard, Portland State, Brandeis, a lot of prestigious institutions. And now he is helping run the city government of Portland. Alex, what did you think of the interview? Yeah, he's an incredibly smart guy. And I thought with the level that he was able to go into in terms of depth, especially since it was a short interview on the homelessness and the policing issues in particular, I thought that he brought out some really interesting points. And it's frankly talking about some things that I don't think that folks either on the left or the right are talking about, especially when it comes to drug use and then also just like staffing levels in general for the Portland Police Department. I thought it was really interesting and obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I thought it was hard to come away from that and really see anything that most people could disagree with. I was very impressed. Uh, I would not be surprised if he ran for higher office at some point or if that was sort of an aim. So, you know, I think he's definitely an interesting person that, you know, folks should be following. What did you think? Yeah, I guarantee you people will be asking him to run for mayor during the next mayor's election. Yeah, I think the, you you nailed it. He's got a deep grasp of the city issues. And I think to your point, I think there actually would be some people who will take exception to some of the things that he said in the interview or some of the things he thinks. But I think what impresses me about him is he seems genuinely disinterested in scoring partisan political points. Like it just did not, if you listen to his answers, they're much more technocratic, policy focused, systems level, and much less about, you know, what we don't like on this podcast, which are the robotic talking point answers. So I really love that um, part of the interview. I also appreciated his answer about, we talk about this new Portland Business Association poll that people are buzzing about, which basically shows that everyone thinks the city of Portland commission is ineffective. And he talks about why that is, uh, what contributes to it. And yeah, I think that the policy conversations around the commission form of government, housing and homelessness, public safety, all super valuable insight that I think folks will appreciate. So great interview. And uh, I'm glad we got the opportunity to do it. Before we jump into the interview, our plug, if you listen on Apple, please give us a five-star rating. Those numbers keep climbing and we really appreciate folks. It takes like 
a minute to give us a five-star rating. So thanks for folks who are willing to do that. And our YouTube channel is growing at the same time. So if you prefer to watch on YouTube uh, and actually see the commissioner as he's answering these questions rather than the podcast form, check us out on YouTube. You can just search for Oregon Bridge Mingus Maps and it will show up. Alex, anything else? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So enjoy the episode, everybody. Thanks again for listening. All right, everyone, welcome to our interview with Commissioner Mingus Maps. So the first question, I was doing my research on you, and the first question I wanted to ask you about is actually Gladys McCoy and Ben Stein. Because in your bio, you talk about how you worked for Gladys McCoy. for. So listeners who are my age might not know this, but Gladys McCoy was the first Black elected official elected in Oregon. She served on the PPS board, Multnomah County Commission, Multnomah County Chair. Bev Stein was chair. Eventually, They're giant figures in Oregon politics, and you got to work for both of them and were mentored by them. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what your experience with them taught you about Oregon politics and what the mentorship meant to you. Oh, gosh, a great question, which takes me back uh, literally to some of my first jobs right out of college. Um, I attended Reed, graduated, I think, in 1990, and through a series, actually, what I, this is good advice for anyone who's thinking about a life in public policy or even politics. I got my first jobs and basically every job since then by just setting up informational interviews with people who I mm-hmm. thought were interesting and, and doing important work. That's how I found myself probably four months out of college working for uh, Gladys McCoy when she was Multnomah County Chair. And frankly, this was at the very end of her life. I believe she died while I was working in her office. It was an incredible opportunity. I don't know. At this point, you have to be have to have some gray in your hair to remember (laughs) Gladys, but really a giant figure, incredibly humane. I loved all Portlanders, but I certainly was also a champion for uh, for Portlanders of color in particular. And then after Gladys passed away, frankly, I probably hooked up with Bev Stein. In fact, I did hook up with Bev Stein's campaign. So I worked on her campaign a little bit. Reese Scholes was her campaign manager. If you or looking for other candidates or other guests to have on your podcast, I really uh, recommend that you uh, reach out to uh, Reese. Uh, he is a great repository of Portland political history. Um, so after working on her campaign for a bit, I wound up uh, working in Bev's office when she got to be Multnomah County Chair. It was great opportunity, young person, um, uh, fresh out of college, really got a chance to essentially be one of her body people. So like, yeah. this is back in the day when we went to physical meetings. So uh, I did a lot of um, driving around, meeting with folks. Um, she was um, a great, um, number one, she was a great political organizer, also just really amazing in terms of uh, a vision for um, better government. This is a time, uh, it must have been kind of the Clinton-ish era when we were very much kind of thinking about reinventing government. And she yeah. kind of really brought that vision and um, lens to the work definitely influenced um, the rest of my life. You know, um, I spent, I remember, you know, when you do local government work, you know, you're constantly trying to put out fires running from, like, I remember, I think one of the things that almost broke me uh, um, during that time was, um, I think, coyotes coming down into the city and uh, <laughs> eating people's pets. And like you're in the Multnomah County's chair's office and people are very upset about this and you need to kind of come up with a solution. Um, 
Um, and after uh, um, wrangling problems like that for a long time, I was I kind of felt like I was running from fire to fire and didn't necessarily have a lot of perspective on the big picture, uh, which is why I um, uh, applied to grad school and got my PhD in government. And ever since I've kind of oscillated back and forth between being an academic where I teach on issues surrounding um, local government elections, uh, race and public policy, and, you know, being a, a practitioner, you know, um, we're either working for the city, currently I serve on Portland City Council and whatnot. It's, it's been a, a fascinating and rewarding professional journey, that's for sure. That's awesome. My quick little follow before we pivot into some policy questions is yeah. being, although your your academic background, I'm sure was actually quite useful in being prepared to do the job, but have, have there been folks that you've turned to as a new commissioner to call and say, what do I do about this? Or how do I think about this? Or what's your advice? Um, or have you just dove in? <laughs> um, I do. I, I basically spend 10 hours a day uh, reaching out to people asking what do you think about this uh how would you handle this um you know i think um one of the things that being an academic teaches you is um more important than any particular body of knowledge you master it's the um, skill and muscles of just learning uh um, and i think that's been a gift that um i got um from my academic career, I definitely bring it to my uh, public service too. So we are very much a learning organization here at you know, Tim Mengus for sure. Awesome. Over to you, Alex. Yeah, and then uh, Commissioner, I wanted to ask you uh, a question about public safety and policing. Sure. And uh, I know that that's an issue that you've uh, spoken about quite a bit and have been uh, quite, quite vocal on. And uh, one thing you had mentioned uh, in a recent interview is the lack of staffing uh, at, at the Portland Police Bureau yeah. and among the department. Uh, I believe that you had said uh, essentially that Portland has about, uh, it's missing about a third of the police officers that it should likely have uh, compared to kind of the uh, city of, of equivalent size. Yeah. Uh, my, my question for you is uh, a, a little bit in terms of policy, in terms of like that clearly has been an issue that you've been focusing on quite a bit. And I'd like to hear uh, I, I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear kind of too why you've been more vocal about that. But then also to just sort of the response that you've gotten in general. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, polling shows that a lot of people in Oregon and Portland do not want to defund the police, but there is quite a loud vocal minority, I would say, that's more in that camp. And I think yeah. that they've been somewhat critical of you. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to hear kind of uh, both questions in one in terms of uh, you know, why that was kind of an issue that you've been wanting to focus on in terms of public policy, in terms of public safety and policing, but then also uh, just kind of how it feels to be under the spotlight a little bit uh, from the other side who maybe disagrees with you on the issue. Oh, sure. Great question. Well, it's helpful to know that um, amongst my responsibilities on Portland City Council, I'm the commissioner in charge of the Bureau of Emergency Communications, which is 911. So um, a big part of my job is to work with a team that um, you know, sends out first responders when people call 911. So that means cops, that means fire trucks, that means ambulances. Now it means uh, Portland Street Response too. Um, one of the things that I've learned in this job um, is that literally we don't have enough cops. We get about half a million 911 calls a year, probably two thirds of those are basically for police. Um, it is a situation that probably happens every hour of every day. We literally don't have the assets to respond to the um, police calls that come into 911. Uh, to put it into some perspective, 
Uh, you know, a city of our size, you'd expect us to have about 1,200 police officers. Currently, we have around 800. Um, and so when you find yourself um, having to call 911 because you need a cop and the cop takes an hour to show up or doesn't show up at all, um, the dilemma there is um, there's literally not a free squad car to send to help you. And the reason why there's not a free squad car in addition to that is uh, for complicated reasons, homicides in Portland have um, shot up exponentially in the last several years. You know, we go back six years, I think we had something like 15 homicides in the entire year. Uh, last year we had 90. Wow. Um, just extraordinary. And I'll tell you, homicides are, um, labor intensive, you know, that requires a lot of cops, it requires a lot of detectives. Uh, um, so that's part of the problem is we have a, a huge surge in um, particularly violent crimes. Uh, so number one, those are our top priority. Number two, those take just a lot of people power in order to fix or in order to address. So that's one of the reasons why um, you hear me talk about the need to um, hire more police officers. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to, frankly, hire our way out of this problem. You know, I'll also tell you, it takes about 18 months just to train a cop. So even if I could, even if I hired 300 police officers tomorrow, um, you know, it's going to be 2024 uh, before they actually hit the streets. So, you know, we, we can make incremental progress there, but we also need to try some new strategies. And that's why things like Portland Street Response, uh, which is this new arm of our first responder system that specifically focuses in on people who are having mental health issues or breakdowns in public spaces is so important. Um, I'm also a big advocate for hiring um, more unarmed police officers. We call them PS3s. They can kind of help us address uh, cold crimes. So let's say your car got stolen last night and you need to both file a police report and need some help tracking it down. Uh, PS3s can do that. It only takes me about four months to train a, PS, a PS3. Uh, so that's much quicker. Um, and, you know, I do think that we ultimately want to strike a, you know, a balance, uh, or let's put it this way. I think we want to reinvent policing. So the old approach where you just have um, a cop and a, and a squad car uh, responding to every 911 call, no call is too small. Um, I think people want other solutions. Um, and so the, the solutions where you have, you send out people who are specific, particularly trained to deal with folks who are having a mental health problem is incredibly important because um, I'll tell you, uh, when I first got into this job about one year, one month and 10 days ago, you know, I thought we really had a, a terrible houseless crisis. Um, but after a year being in this job, I can tell you, you know, we have a terrible mental health crisis out there on the streets and it's one of its manifestations is uh, um, houselessness. So it's important that we do the PS3 thing too. Um, and in terms of the criticism that I get for that, um, that's just part of the job. Um, you know, I, tr I really do try to listen to people. Um, you know, um, I do think that um, although Portlanders sometimes speak in loud voices, if you actually listen to the content of what they're saying, um, you know, there is a, I think, a strong Portland consensus. You know, I think we want a, a community that's safe and kind and, um, you know, um, you know, 
provides people with the help they need. Um, you know, there are ways to say that, you know, from the far left side, and there are ways to say that from the far right side. But, you know, I think there's far more um, agreement there than uh, you might suspect if you just read the tweets. That, that actually is a good transition to what I wanted to ask you about, which is um, there's this new poll that came out with like these what I I was even surprised at the number. So it said the, uh, uh, the, the Oregonian was analyzing this data. I think it was the Portland Business Association's poll. Yeah. It said 81% of likely Portland voters polled said that they viewed the city council as either very or somewhat ineffective. Um, you actually, when you were running, talked about your experience in city government, seeing that city government can actually be pretty ineffective and dysfunctional. Um, so I guess I'm curious... What do you think, A, do you still agree and, and like validate that perception that folks have? And if not, what is, you know, is it commission form of government driving this? Is it people for Portland driving this? Is it the scale of the problems driving this? Like, why do people feel like their city government isn't working? Well, um, they feel that because of what they see out on the streets. You know, if you take, a, if you ask folks what their sort of top concerns for the city are, it would be houselessness, public safety, livability. Um, and if you um, evaluate uh, our local government based on how well we're doing on those, those metrics, uh, you would give us a failing score. And I think that is completely fair. Uh, where does that come from? You know, it's the convergence of lots of different things. COVID didn't help. The proliferation of guns doesn't help. Um, you know, fentanyl, is yeah. a, a huge problem too, which is frankly unlike anything that we have seen in the past. Um, and our commission form of government is a disaster. Um, this is one of the reasons why Portland um, looks the way Portland does. And when you cross the city lines, um, you know, you don't see the same number of tents and livability issues. And let me illustrate what this means for, for uh, your listeners who, um, uh, haven't spent their lives studying uh, Portland government. We have a unique form of government. It's a commission form of government. Uh, you know, most of your listeners probably think we have a mayor and four members of city council, but under the commission form of government, in practice, it's different. We have five different mayors, each in charge of a handful of city bureaus. You know, I'm the commissioner in charge of the Water Bureau, Environmental Services, and 911. The mayor's in charge of you know, the police and some financial bureaus. Uh, Commissioner Hardesty has, um, you know, PBOT and fire. Um, and one of the things that that form of government um, forces us to do is anytime you have a complex problem, which sort of crosses across, across many sort of jurisdictional lines, you have to have the, essentially the whole council on the same page. So let's just take a really straightforward example of uh, houselessness in a park. You know, you might go, well, the solution to this is easy. We just need to provide housing. Um, but, you know, if you've ever interacted with houseless people, you know, it's more complex than that. You know, houselessness is not just a housing problem. It's often a mental health problem. It's definitely a public safety problem. Uh, if it's in the parks, it becomes a parks problem. And if it's uh, if you're camping on the sidewalk, um, that's a right of way problem, which is actually controlled by PBOT. So even just to deal with something as straightforward as a, a camp inappropriate uh, um, for a park, you have to have four members of city council all on the same page. And um, that's an awfully heavy lift. You know, I will um, give my colleagues on council credit. I think everyone understands this problem. Um, um, on the other hand, um, it doesn't mean that we always overcome it. In fact, it just creates frictions and inefficiencies, which 
I think easily make the city 20, 30% less efficient than it would be if we just had a different form of government. One short follow-up there, Alex, and then <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go. Um, why hasn't it, when can we expect the commission form of government to be changed, to have a, a vote uh, on the charter before voters? Um, and why does it take so long? It seems like there's been this chorus of people saying, wow, the commission form of government is bad, um, but it hasn't changed. Sure, well, um, actually, you will, we will have something uh, be on the November 2022 um, ballots. So uh, in about eight months, um, voters will have a chance to look at charter reform. Uh, the charter is essentially the constitution for the city of Portland. Every 10 years, uh, the city convenes a citizens group that reviews the charter and comes up with recommendations. Those folks have been meeting for about a year. Um, they're getting to the point where they, uh, are, uh, are finalizing their recommendations for change. Uh, we know those recommendations are likely to fall into two buckets. Uh, one would be to move away from our commission form of government, uh, which would typically what people do instead of commission forms of government would be, and I would point out that Portland is literally the last city of its size <laughs> in America right. to have a commission form of government. Um, the, the other alternatives you see would be a strong mayor system, which is kind of probably what people intuitively think of when they think of a city. Um, another alternative would be to have a city manager, which would be sort of a, a head administrator who's in charge of uh, running the day-to-day -day operations of all the city bureaus. Um, uh, we're not quite sure which way the commission is likely to go, but if you, they're very public, you can kind of look at their minutes. It looks like they're likely to recommend uh, um, and put forward a, um, a city manager proposal for the November ballot. And then they're also taking a look at um, how we go about electing members of city council. Right now, everyone runs at large. They're looking at some other ideas, which would mean, could mean everything from, um, you know, moving to neighborhood-based elections. I know they're actually looking at some very um, forward-leaning ideas, uh, maybe multi-member districts and star voting. I have some concerns about that. You should, I encourage you to actually do a podcast on that particular issue. Um, I very much support, um, and these are gonna be two separate votes. Um, okay. So um, you'll have a chance to vote on uh, the form of government and you'll have a chance to vote on um, how you go about electing members of council next November. I encourage Portlanders to take that very seriously. I think this is um, the opportunity of literally a lifetime uh, um, to um, make um, government in Portland work better. Um, the city manager is a key reform that we just got to make. I won't lie to you. I have some concerns about uh, some of the changes to the form of, or to the ways we go about electing members of council that they're talking about now, but I don't quite know where they're going to land. Well, I'll evaluate that when I see what they propose. Fascinating. We'll have to have you back when we've got a sure. proposal. Please do. <laughs> when we finally get it all figured out, it's perfect. So, uh, no, that's great. And uh, Commissioner, I wanted to talk, uh, circle back to issue you were talking about earlier, which was the homelessness piece. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I find this issue, uh, well, one, particularly interesting in two ways is, uh, one, if you can actually help to solve the issue, it does have real impact on people and real impact on lives, which is not really something we can say about uh, everything in public policy yeah. and politics. And then two, I think it's also one of the few issues where there's obviously some partisan lines drawn, but I mean, I've heard people on the very conservative side of things advocate for things that I would personally think a lot of progressives would agree with. 
and the reverse end of things. I've heard progressives advocate for things that I think a lot of conservatives would agree with. So I think there's like, there's some really cross-cutting edges there, which I think are interesting. Uh, obviously, homelessness is a uh, big problem, not just in Portland, but in a lot yeah. of West Coast cities, and frankly, just a lot of major cities across the country right now. Uh, I have a couple of specific questions, sure. but also I'm just kind of curious of like, uh, what is your overall approach uh, kind of to the issue? And I know it's a little bit of everything, but you know, maybe if you could have your one or two big ideas implemented, like what does that kind of look like? Sure. Well, you know, I am an all of the above kind of guy on houselessness issues. Uh, the thing that I'm really focused on um, for this calendar year is to get 1,000 people who are currently sleeping on the streets uh, housed by the end of the year. Uh, what kind of housing does that look like? Um, you know, it can be congregate shelter, it could be affordable housing, it could be supportive housing. I think all of that uh, um, works, you know, frankly, every houseless person is unique. Um, and so not every, there's not a cookie cutter solution here. So I think we need to do all of the above. I also think that, um, frankly, Portlanders um, have invested enough dollars into houseless services at this point that we should be able to, um, you know, provide housing that at least gets folks off the streets. Uh, we're going to have options ranging from safe rest villages, which are kind of tiny homes, uh, which Commissioner uh, Ryan is trying to stand up. Um, Commissioner Ryan is also doing a great job of bringing online um, you know, uh, supportive housing. So these would be apartments, which would also maybe be connected for, to mental health or drug and alcohol services too. All of that's quite important. Um, so mostly at this point, I'm about implementation and getting folks off the streets. Um, and I think we need to count that in terms of absolute numbers. You know, a year from now, we need to have a thousand fewer people on the streets than we have today. Yeah, and one thing you had said uh, in a previous interview, which I thought was interesting, I haven't really heard talked about before, when you were actually talking about the rise in violent crime, mm -hmm. uh, you actually said that some of that or a significant portion can be contributed to, to homelessness. Oh. Uh, I guess that's not really something I had thought about before, I guess, even heard. Would you mind just expanding on that a little bit? I thought that was an interesting point. Sure. Well, um, you know, I, I'm your 911 guy, so we take a <laughs> careful look at um, crime and where it comes from and what's triggering it. In general, with homicides, we find that, um, you know, the killings we see out there in the streets kind of fall into three buckets. Uh, one would be related to gang violence. One would be related to uh, houseless camps. And the, the third bucket would be sort of interpersonal conflicts, domestic violence, bar fights, that kind kind of stuff. Um, it's challenging here because um, we're actually trying to get good numbers on this. We don't quite track homicides or at least categorize them in terms of like this is a gang violence. In fact, we literally don't use that that category in policing in Portland anymore, um, and we don't sort of categorize homicides in terms of uh, whether or not it was specifically connected to a, a houseless camp. Uh, but we have dug into the numbers and. It's probably the case that about a third, if not more, of the homicides that we see out in Portland are directly connected to um, wow. activities and people who um, live in houseless camps. Wow. Um, the, the dynamic I wanted to ask you about, but this will probably be our last policy question, is the behavioral health component here uh, yeah. in terms of the addiction crisis. Um, you mentioned fentanyl. Um, yeah. A, what role do you think that plays in the houselessness crisis? And, and 
the 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 policy landscape here is dizzying for me even where we've got state programs we've got county programs we got the city working on it so how should we think through addressing the behavioral health crisis you know that's the nut that we really need to crack um and this is a hard one for me you know i'm a city guy so we kind of provide basic services parks roads 911 mental health stuff um is really a county service um and, but it's my evaluation, and I doubt my county partners would um, fight me too hard on this. You know, fentanyl is a game changer. Um, we have, it's different from heroin, it's different from meth. Uh, you know, I never thought I would be nostalgic for the simple days of, you know, meth <laughs> of tweakers. Uh, um, but it really, um, fentanyl is just a totally different thing. Um, one of the reasons you see, um, you see a houselessness, um, be as pervasive as it is now is that um, if you're addicted to fentanyl, houselessness is just a perfect lifestyle, you know, to kind of crawl into a tent and be very, very high. Um, I see um, the county and the state trying to figure out how we support people who have this particular challenge. Um, I don't know if we've to tell you the truth, if we figured out a model yet, you know, I talk to um, service providers all the time who tell us, we've let, literally have never really kind of confronted folks who are just this checked out. You know, if someone's going to heal, you kind of need to be able to make a human connection. And uh, fentanyl, um, one of the insidious things about it is that it takes people so far out of their minds that it's really hard to connect. Uh, I'll give people credit, we're trying to figure it out, um, but this is a real challenge, which I think we're at the very beginning of um, sorting out. And frankly, until we sort it out, we're not going to completely heal. Really, really important um, perspective. Thank you. So um, our final question, we ask this of all guests, is if someone was listening to this, I mean, I'm sure you're hearing from folks all the time, but if someone's right. listening and they want to follow your work um, or they want to weigh in and be part of the solution, um, what's the best way for them to be in touch with you or to get plugged into the work of Portland City Government? Well, you should, um, you can follow us on social media. Um, we're on uh, Facebook for sure. Um, anytime you have uh, questions or concerns, I encourage you to reach out to our, um, our office. You can send us an email at um, officemaps uh, at portlandoregon.gov. Um, uh, please do. I'm also uh, I'm the commissioner in charge of water, sewers, and 911. If you got a problem with one of those services, the buck really does stop with me. Uh, so please, um, please, um, please reach out to us there. Um, I think I'm, I'm being reminded that my email is mapsoffice at portlandoregon.gov. Uh, uh, um, um, so, a plus uh, for staff work right there. Yeah, A plus. Yvette uh, <laughs> um, is, is an amazing uh, public servant. I would I would not be here without, uh, without her, quite literally. Um, and also, I just, you know, whether you reach out to me or someone else on council, I really do um, encourage all of your listeners to, um, you know, remain engaged with the work of building a better Portland. Um, I think we got a really promising council here. Uh, we also got an enormous number of challenges. And the only way that we can conquer these challenges is to, you know, build a table, invite everyone to the table and uh, figure out how we can work together um, to build a healthier, more vibrant city. That is a great place to end it. Uh, Commissioner Maps, thanks so much for taking some time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us. Uh, we look forward to touching base again in the future. Oh, same. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, Oregon Bridge Podcast. Uh, I love you guys. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>